Guys, what is happening? Welcome back to the show. This is Creating Space. I'm your host, Wes Knight, and it's been a birthday week. 30 years young, a hell of a week so far. I've had so much fun and have received so much love from you guys. I couldn't be more appreciative. For most of you who have been listening, you know that I traveled over to Sweden for my birthday and visited Ella Master McLeod and her wife, Erin. Well, the individual married to Ella Master McLeod is no slouch. Her name is Erin McLeod, and Erin's got four World Cup appearances, two Olympic game appearances, one of which she took bronze, and all of her efforts has equaled in her being nominated as the all-time best 11 goalkeeper in Canadian history. The best ever, like the GOAT, the Mike Jordan of Canadian women's soccer. That's pretty sick. Not only that, though, Aaron is a heck of an artist, and we actually recorded this podcast underneath that art, which is a graffiti piece on the kitchen wall inside of her apartment in Malmo. For this special edition podcast, I actually posted the podcast artwork as that graffiti piece. So as you're listening to the show, check it out. Have a look. She's an incredible artist an incredible woman with an Olympic-level mindset. We're going to delve into just what it took to get herself to that place. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Mrs. Erin McLeod. Guys, what is happening? Welcome to Creating Space. I'm sitting across from greatness, literal greatness. This is Erin McLeod, Canada's best ever goalkeeper ever. Ever should be capitalized, bold, italicized. She has literally been uh, awarded all-time best best Canadian women's best 11. She's an Olympic bronze medalist, an artist, founder of Motive Nation, a corporate motivational speaker and coach. But what makes her all of those things, she's got four World Cups, one in USA, one in China, one in Germany, and then the most recent one in Canada. Two Olympic Games, London and Beijing, which is where you tore your first ACL. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit of uh, an attachment to the Olympic Games there. Uh, she played both at SMU, Southern Methodist University in Texas, as well as Penn State University. Her winning percentage in college was .957, which is a record at Penn State. Incredible. Um, not only that, she's been through her share of adversity. And for most of you who know my story, um, we've been through that together. Uh, three ACL injuries, the most recent one, which kept you out of the Rio Olympics that we just all witnessed. Erin yeah. McLeod, what a resume. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Thank you for that intro. <laughs> quite, quite the uh, easy delivery for an intro, but I'm still not finished. I'm here in Malmo in Sweden, in your place, for my 30th birthday to see you and your wife, Ella. Um, and you've got such a cool place. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me how you feel. Is it uh, the energy that you've created in your space? Is Where, where does that come from? 
Um, well, we've been, you know, I think really lucky since we've got to SA Rosengar, they like set up our place and this is like a really professional club that I love for that. We've been a couple places where we were like showed up and there's, you know, it's like an empty box and we've had to fill it up. So, um, from the get go, it's been really homey from like previous players and they've kind of all left stuff behind. So I feel kind of lucky in that regard. And then, uh, just recently I asked, um, our sports chef, Tres Rogan, who's like a a baller in her own right. Um, if I could paint uh, a mural in the kitchen, and obviously I thought she was going to say no, but she said yes. So um, for me, it's been a, a really cool journey. I mean, I know we'll get into the injury and all that stuff, but um, art has played such a huge role in my life and Andy Warhol. So I have given some props to him already on the wall and uh, just things along the way, like Muhammad Ali, there'll be some really cool things, I hope. So for those of the viewers who cannot watch right now, she's got this incredible, I'll post pictures and I'll give links in the show notes to where you'll be able to see what we're talking about. But inside of her kitchen, she's got an extremely colorful uh, graffiti can that is colored with Campbell's condensed soup and it's spraying out love and, and cool colors. She's got an Andy Warhol a banana that she's just given tribute to him in the corner. It, it just kind of really accentuates what Aaron's all about. Um, and which is why it was very important for me to get her on the show as well. She's got, there's something different about Erin. It not only is her presence, which is a byproduct of the way that she's gone about her life, but what's different about Erin is that she takes everything she does 100% seriously. And I, I love that. I feel <laughs> there's a part of me in that, or I'd like to at least uh, have that aspect. I want to know, when did you start to develop this competitive Olympic level mindset? Um, I think, um, I don't know if it's a mindset or, um, I remember when I was really young, actually, my mom always thought that, uh, like I had tubes put in my ear. I had some like hearing problems when I was like really young. And my mom's always like, that's why you're so good at focusing because <laughs> you couldn't hear anything going on. So you're just like zoned into what you were doing. Um, but you know, when I was four or five, I started really getting into drawing and art. And um, that's when I re really remember starting to get into like the zone uh, with whatever I was doing. And, um, you know, I started kind of to uh, apply it to other things in my life, although I wasn't aware of it, obviously, at the time. Um, but when I was five, I remember, you know, my mom keeps everything. She's like a kind of a hoarder and she's got like these class books of every year that we've gone through school and like photos at the beginning and, you know, cheesy, what do you want to be when you grow up, whatever. And when I was five, I, I you know, I put, I'm, I'm going to the Olympics. So I think since I was a kid, I kind of knew uh, what I wanted. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know what sport, I didn't know any of the details, but um, yeah, for as long as I can remember, that's what I wanted. Your first manifestation was the Olympics. Yeah. Where did that come from? Was it something that you watched and you were so fascinated with it? Or was it the fact, the pure fact that you thought that goal was so lofty and no one kind of, maybe they didn't believe you, that you wanted to achieve it to prove everyone wrong? Um, yeah, I mean... It's funny because, uh, you know, one of my goals at the time also was to be a professional women's soccer player, and that didn't even exist at that point. So some of it, yeah, like I had just dreamed up, and I got a lot of slack. Like I was, you know, kind of like a, a chubby kid, and um, I remember I'd be like, I'm going to the Olympics, and people were like, oh, my God, this kid, you know, like they take me seriously, obviously. But um, I remember, like, to the day, it was 1988, the Calgary Olympics, um, 
you know, Olympics at home. And Elizabeth Manley uh, is a figure skater for Canada. And she like had the skate of her life and she ended up getting silver. But um, I remember watching the Olympics with my entire family in the living room and we were like all in tears. We just like lost it. And I just remember feeling like so attached to this athlete in this moment that I had, you know, really no connection to except there we were Canadian, you know? Um, and so for me, that's, that's kind of like when things shifted, like when I wanted to be something great. What was the greatness that you saw that made that connection where you had this emotional attachment to where you had seen it, part of you knew that you could get there and you could do it, mm -hmm. but there had to be an aspect that you were so connected with that idea that then it made you uh, willing and uh, passionate about going through the process. What, what was it specifically, do you remember? I mean, I remember the look on her face, uh, and if there's any, you know, Canadians listening, they, they probably remember, like, um, she was just, like, uh, just bawling, because she knew, she knew that it was, like, she played, or she skated out of her mind, and it was a moment where she had, like, worked her entire life, and in that moment, like, it was just, um, it was genius, you know, and I remember specifically because that's a to a T, um, how I felt in London 2012. Like, I remember the whistle went and I, like, bawled because I knew, like, everything that I had done, all the work that I had done, everything um, had led up to that uh, one moment, you know? And it was exactly kind of how I thought it would feel, um, wow. you know? And I think, I think what's really cool, if you listen to, like, a lot of the greats and a lot of the legends, like, you know, they're asked, like, can you believe you made it here? Or can you believe you're the best in the world? And... Uh, a lot of times they're like, no, like I, I've visioned this, I've dreamed this up, like I've been here, I've, been I've, here I've been on this podium, like you know, a billion times in my head, and um, so yeah, I think uh, for me, I was really attached to that, and um, yeah, I feel like I didn't know how I was going to get there, but um, you know, I'm kind of a creative cat. I knew I was going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you kicked started the process at that moment. Yeah. Um, I can remember very vivid moments in my life as well. Yeah. First for me, it was just I was going to be a pro athlete, mm -hmm. right? And I was gifted in different sports. And then I started to figure out the path of least resistance for me was soccer. And mm -hmm. that's how uh, that, that process began. <laughs> but I remember a very vivid moment in my life where I started to understand that in order for me to succeed, I needed an, an antagonist. I needed something to chase. And I had the vision, which was the overall method for me to chase. And that I needed to find small antagonists throughout the process that were going to help me continue to improve. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, I started to compare. Mm -hmm. Because when I saw the next individual and what they were doing and yeah. the respect I had or how much better they were than me, I started to compare myself to them. And he, right. I used that to my advantage. Did you deal with comparison at all? Yeah, that's kind of like my Achilles heel. Uh, but it's also been, um, you know, I don't have any regrets with my mindset um, at all. It's, it's made me the athlete and the person that I am. But, um, you know, what always worked for me, especially with the national team, is I would compare myself to the, you know, the starting keeper, whoever it was. And I would kind I would literally make lists of what their strengths were and what my strengths were, what my weaknesses were, and what their weaknesses were. And I just, it was kind of like I was headhunting. Like I was, I was going to make sure that all of my strengths were stronger than theirs and all my weaknesses were stronger than theirs and all I was stronger than all of their strengths. So it was, right. it's pretty black and white. And then I continued to do that over and over with whoever was the starter until I became the starter, 
Um, and then it was this method that had worked. And so I'm at the top. Um, I remember the day I was sitting with one of my coaches who was like, you know, you're one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And I was like pissed that he said that. And I was like, well, I don't want to be one of them, you know, but I think too, like, you know, you go on this journey and you have like these goals and then you, um, you know, I've been really lucky that I've, I've reached them and now it's kind of like, okay, now I have to set the bar higher. You know what I mean? Um, so those kind of things happen kind of all at the same time for me. Um, you know, getting to the top and then realizing I could really get to the top. Um, but then, yeah, but then it became a trap because, uh, it was almost like I was searching, like I had to keep looking for reasons why, uh, you know, almost like I didn't believe that I should be at the top, you know? So it's like, okay, it became this like paranoia. Like is this next keeper going to have this, like, is that going to be the end of me? And so it became this like constant struggle. Um, and it's something I, uh, I'm like starting to really figure out now. And, um, you know, I think people always talk about everything happens for a reason. I think sometimes things happen and you give it a reason. And I think for me, it's, it's finally figuring out my head game after all these years. Wow, uh, what has served you for so many years to get you to elite level, Mm -hmm. Olympian, a bronze medalist, arguably the best keeper in the world Mm -hmm. before your injury, uh, in that you haven't lost that title, right? It's just a moment for you to get back into it. Now that I'm retired, a year retired from that, I mean, I brought myself from a very small town and I'm very proud of what I was able to accomplish. Yeah. You know, one of the few in South Carolina to ever have the opportunity to play in the MLS. But all of those things that made me... I never really stopped to realize I was enough. So for me, that's always been my battle. I've always been like, I've got to be a confident keeper. I've got to really believe in myself, all this stuff. But, you know, people always tell you, you know, you've got to be this, you've got to be that. But it's like, there's no, you know, ABC on how to get there. Um, And so, like, credit to you, I... Uh, you know, I was so lucky to come across your, your, your Instagram posts, like, your, you know, your daily, I don't even know what that's called. What is that called? The story. Your yeah, daily yeah. Instagram story. Um, and, you know, it, it's so true about rewiring your brain. I've done a lot of, a lot of research um, for myself, but uh, through the national team, just about literally your, your brain is so malleable and you can teach it just about anything. And you can also unlearn a lot of the things that you've taught yourself. So, um, you know, the comparing thing just became this like really negative process where it was like, I was almost telling myself nonstop that I wasn't enough. So I literally took your advice. I created an audio track where I have like uh, Muhammad Ali quotes in there. I have Conor McGregor. I have still I rise, which is my favorite Maya Angelou poem. Um, and I've got like the band XX in there, some Kanye West, like some good jams. Um, and I listen to it every morning now. And at the beginning of my workout, like I listen to it nonstop, but there's also like a poem that I put in there about, you know, being at the top of the game and I'm, and I'm not done yet and I'm going to keep going. And, um, we talked about this the other day. Um, you know, I've been very, um, open and honest about my process, um, with the motive nation group, because, um, I think when people become real, they become relatable. And then when people become relatable, your goals become reachable no matter who you are. You know what I mean? So for me, like I've really, I've really put everything out there. And I put the other day, like in my journal, I said, like, um, if I come back, 
um, why not come back better? And then someone uh, corrected me, said, when you come back. Mm. And it was so powerful. And I was like, uh, you know, obviously it was a vulnerable situation, but I was like, you're right. Because, I mean, if my mind's not all in, then there's no point in doing this. I noticed earlier you said you were a Maya Angelou fan. Uh, she has a great quote that said, where she said, words are things. And when mm. you speak them, they get into the walls, they get into the carpet, they get into the furniture, and they become your reality, they become your existence. <laughs> and um, I really believe that to be true. So totally. I love that what I was able to put out, which was me going through my own process. When I turn on my Instagram story or, or my uh, Snapchat story, it's me yeah. really talking to myself and then talking to the individuals who have now become a part of my tribe right. who are going through the same things I'm going through and to know that you listened to it and it helped you the one part where I'll go back to the comparison now I've listened yeah. to your recording and guys it is far more artistic <laughs> than mine I mean it's streaming different recordings of Muhammad Ali and mm -hmm. mine is just myself yeah. talking with very little audio or very little audio underneath it so but you know to, um it's whatever so works, I think. It's, it's, it's exactly the end of the day. right. To yeah. credit your point, it's all about your own process and developing a new relationship with yourself. Right. Um, so the inner critic now is becoming the the inner uh, positive positivity yeah. source, right? Like, yeah. um, what what are your triggers though that you still have like this powerful crutch to that you know when it comes up, yeah. you're having to really fight that. Do you do you have any of those that are kind of cyclical? To be honest, like, um, I don't really necessarily have any triggers. A lot of times it's just become such a habit that like, I'll literally be walking and I'll like catch myself and be like, Oh my God, I'm like having a comparing thought right now. And it can be nothing. But what is cool is now I'm, I'm catching them. And what I've really learned, um, you know, I've read, a, I read a lot of Buddhist stuff and, um, like this whole self-compassion thing is, um, it's really changing my life. And I think it's so true um, because when I used to uh, catch myself thinking these things, I'd beat myself up about thinking these things. And like, there's so many thoughts that go through our brain that we don't even have any control over, you know? So instead of now, like being so negative about it, it's almost just like, okay, I'm acknowledging it. It's there. Um, and I think at the end of the day, there's like a bit of fear and a little bit of doubt when those uh, things come up and, Muhammad Ali, like my favorite quote that he says is like, if you're, if you're, um, your dreams don't scare you, they aren't big enough. And it's so true, you know? So like, if I never have any fear and I never have any doubt, you know, I don't want to like trick myself. I want to be real, but it's, it's there, but it's just kind of, um, I think about having the courage to be like, okay, addressing it and then, and moving on. Um, that is a great segue into the next question I have for you. I remember, your injury that you your your first ACL that mm. you uh, suffered in the Beijing two thousand eight yeah two thousand eight Beijing you suffered that one and that uh, the first ACL for any player mm. is traumatic any athlete any individual in the injury is very traumatic what were the first thoughts that went through your mind when you suffered the injury did you know in, immediately in that moment uh, it's funny because speaking about how like uh, powerful your mind is um, so I've been a perfectionist my entire life and anything that I take on, I have to get a hundred percent on like, you know, I'm, that's the way that I function. Anything less than a hundred percent means I'm like a total failure. So, um, so leading up to the Olympics, this is kind of right after, you know, that uh, coach made the comment, like, 
you're one of the best. And kind of, I got into this place where I thought being the best meant that I could never make a mistake. And that's what I equated, you know, to. And, um, and I got to the point where like, I beat myself up so badly after any mistake. Cause I'd be like the best in the world doesn't make a mistake, you know, um, that I kind of wanted a way out. So, um, I remember specifically in 2008, like I remember that game, we were playing in the U S and I remember before being like, I almost hope I get hurt. I just need to get out of this situation. And then sure enough, I got hurt. So, um, I mean, it's crazy. And looking at all my injuries, I think different things have happened. Like, uh, you know, Wes gave me like this incredible book, Mind, The Mindful Athlete. I've only read, you know, a couple of pages, but at the beginning it talks about um, having all these like nagging injuries are from stress. And after the World Cup in Canada, I was at the top of my game. It was the best I've ever played. Um, and I had injury after injury after injury. And we talked about being like outcome focused and all I cared about was uh, being the starter and I was afraid of losing my position. And um, so... I mean, it's obviously not the greatest to be hurt like this so, so many times, but um, it really kind of puts things in perspective. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, that outcome focus versus process focus. Yeah. You've been through three injuries, three ACL injuries. Tell mm -hmm. me how your process has changed from injury one, injury two, and now in your third uh, process of going through your third injury. Yeah. At the height of your career, we you were going into the the Beijing or sorry the Rio Olympics mm -hmm. the number one for Canada who by all you know testaments had a great opportunity for a gold medal um, tell me a little bit about your process and the experience of all the processes and how you've gotten to where you are and if it's helped you yeah I mean I think um, I think it's always important kind of to uh, you know, check in with your headspace. And I feel very lucky that I have, um, you know, very good self-awareness and, um, but sometimes I don't feel so lucky. Sometimes I wish, you know, like they say, ignorance is bliss and, um, I wasn't so aware, but, um, yeah, I think, I think being process focused is one of the hardest things. Um, but what I know coming back from this one is, um, it is really, you know, like everyone says, oh, it's about the journey and blah, blah, blah. But it, it is, you know, and um, I just like, I love the game. I just love the game. And I love, you know, the other day Ella was like striking balls. I was sitting on a chair and she was striking balls into my hands. And I was like a kid in a candy shop, you know, like just the feel of the ball, the weight of the ball, just like the small things. Like I love this game, you know, and so much gets lost about the hype, about what it means to be the top of the game. I, I let the def the the position uh defined me for so long and now it's like it's my terms this is me i don't give a crap um about what anybody thinks anymore you know and i've like coaches too like influence the way that i play and like when i come back this is going to be me i have no one to impress anymore i don't have anything to prove so i'm just going to come back and i want to enjoy it i've said that a lot in the past like oh i just want to enjoy it but um i think that comes with a lot of work in believing in myself um, and I'm putting in the work now cause I really haven't, you know, I've talked about mental strength and I can like meditate till the cows home, come home. But like, um, it's about being in that moment and believing that I have everything I could ever want in that moment and trusting that. That is a powerful, powerful place to be, mm -hmm. a blissful place to be when you let go of the attachment that you have yeah. to, an, <laughs> yeah. to an idea. It's just an attachment to an idea, right? Definitely. But that doesn't make it any easier mm -hmm. when you're sitting in Sweden. And you're watching 
your team, <laughs> yeah. your girls, mm -hmm. your nation being represented without you mm -hmm. in Brazil. What was it like for you watching your squad take the field in game one in Brazil? Uh, you know, it was, I had a lot of different emotions, a lot of like conflicting emotions. Um, first, like, you know, <laughs> you're always proud. I mean, I've grown up with some of those girls, you know, but um, at the other end, it was, um, you know, we talk about comparing and like all of my fears, I think like came to this, like, <laughs> to this point where they, I was controlled by them. I was miserable. I would, um, yeah, I was like crying every day. I, I was talking to a sports psych. I was uh, just in a really tough place. And, um, you know, I, I know how John treats the group. They're like in this bubble and they have to be in that bubble. And, you know, and I didn't really hear from anybody. So it was like, I felt uh, pretty alone. And one of my biggest fears was always like, I'll be, I'm going to be replaced, you know, and that's, uh, so it was kind of, it was crazy in the sense that, all of my deepest fears had kind of come true in that moment, but in the same uh, in the same breath, all of my fears uh, had come true in that moment, and I'm here. Yeah, you know, you're here. You were growing through it. That's impressive to me that the coach didn't really take the opportunity, your players didn't really take the opportunity to reach out for you. However, the team dynamic is mm -hmm. that we've got to look after of course. the group. We've got to be moment. in the zone. And, so yeah. how do you battle with the knowledge of that and knowing what it's like to be in that moment and so focused on the goal right. that you have, but yet there is an aspect and a very big aspect of that group, that, that yeah. organism, which is Can Canadian soccer, right. Canadian women's soccer that is gone. How did, you, how did you try to talk yourself and walk yourself through that to realize that it maybe is not personal? Yeah, I mean, I think I think at first I did take it personal, but I know I've been in those uh, I've been in that environment exactly, and literally like uh, whether it's family or friends or even like you know we've had like Olympic the Olympic Committee come in and talk to us about like staying in the zone, and and a lot of it is really literally detaching from the world while you're competing, and that's that's part of it. Um, I heard from Rian Wilkinson a lot, and you know she's kind of like the representative of the the older gals. So um, it was nice to hear from her, and um, you know John sent me a text after they uh, got the bronze, and just said that they, that he was thinking about me. You know, so um, it's always going to be hard not to be there, of course. But um, I'm really excited for the future because I think they did really well. I think the potential in this group is like we could win a World Cup. Um, I talked to Kadisha actually like just a couple of days ago and I said like, we're going to do this. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, yeah, so I know I'm a, it's, it's competition and um, you've got to be in the right state of mind. The part of Canadian soccer, which is so impressive, is the continuity within the group. I, yeah. mean, I would say that you would probably agree that from top to bottom, mm -hmm. your, your talent pool is not as vast as a team like the United States or yep. France or yep. maybe even Sweden, that could be debatable. Yep. But the way you play as a unit and as a mm. group is far superior than a lot of nations, most nations. Yeah. Um, what do you think attributes to that family-like atmosphere that you guys have as a Canadian women's national team? Well, you know, I feel it's always kind of been that way. And I feel really lucky, actually, because um, we've had, you know, like Charmaine Hooper was one of the first, <laughs> like she's a legend in, in, in Canadian soccer anyway. And there's been a lot of uh, legends along the way, like Andrea Neal, that it's kind of just been the way, like you look out for your players, your people. And um, 
And I think too, um, John came in after the 2011 uh, World Cup, and it's crazy because we finished 16th out of 16 teams, like dead last, and then we went to win a bronze in 2012. Um, And I think like it was evident to all of us that the reason we won that bronze, like statistically against France, we got totally destroyed. It was like 29 to two shots or something like that, and it was like we just like would not give up. We would not give up on one another, and. I think that really clicked for us. We were like, this is team connection is what is going to give us a chance. And um, we've carried that, um, you know, before it was just like a family feel, but now it's like, we're using that um, as something that's working for us. Like, you know, we play France and Brazil and these, some of the players like God, that France lineup is like any yeah. coach would dream of that lineup. You know what I mean? And, and, and this is no disrespect for them, but like just the way that we played, we we're just so organized, so tactical. And, and that's what won us the game. It's incredible. Family goes a long way. The love that you would have, the relationship that you have with another footballer to understand where they like the ball to be played, which foot, which area of the field. Totally. All those things go into becoming a good team. You don't put your your teammate into bad situations. You don't allow them to suffer. uh, Right. You know, in, in any sort of way, you try to set everyone up for success. Right. Exactly. Bring the best out of everyone around exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. So the six second rule. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. Let's talk a little, for those listeners who don't know much about football or soccer. Mm. The six second rule is a, is a goalkeeper rule where they cannot hold on to the ball for longer than six seconds. Now, it is a very flexible, blurred line rule mm. where it's all into the interpretation of the referee. And it's really a rule just to keep the game moving. Right. It's, it's not really a rule that anyone is very strict on. So you're mm-hmm. playing the United States. It's le- it's You're up 2-1. Yeah. Correct? You're up 2-1. Yeah. You're, you've got possession of the ball. The referee blows you uh, <laughs> six seconds. Mm-hmm. Just on top of the boxes where they set the ball. Right. Walk me through what that is like. Playing the highly touted United States. Mm. A big moment when you're up. I can't even imagine a referee. I've never been in a game where that rule has been called. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about that moment, what that felt like, uh, and then we'll we'll go from there. Um, you know what? Um, that moment, I, and I've had this question a lot, but um, leading up to the Olympics, actually, like six months out, I guess, from the Olympics, um, I had a real turning point in who I was as a person, my goalkeeper coach kind of, um, sat me down and he was, he was like, you've got to read this book, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And it's by Richard Bach. It's like this, it's a short book basically. And it just talks about this guy who, um, even if you don't see it or whatever, if you believe it, that's all that matters. Um, so don't be your own limitation basically. And, um, when he gave it to me, I was like, uh, it clicked for me that, for so long. And that's, I think really when my self-awareness, that's when it all came into play. And I was like, Oh my God, I've been my own worst enemy for as long as I've been playing. So as soon as I kind of realized, um, that that was happening, um, I started, um, you know, getting more into like, almost became like a researcher of like self-improvement, self-awareness, all these kind of things. Um, to the point where, you know, I started seeing, uh, you know, we had a sports psych with the team, uh, Carrie Evans is a genius of a man. Like I'm so grateful that I got to work with him and I started doing a lot of more meditation and, um, basically training my brain to be calmer, making clear decisions. And, um, it paid off in that moment. Because the whistle blew, and instead of being like 
you know, what the F and like freaking out, I just said, okay, I have to get back in my goal. And it was, that's it. And then the next play we got called for a handball. They got a PK and, and literally like, it was just like, okay, next, next, next. And it was like, I was in the moment and I had no emotion attached to any of those situations. It was just, I mean, after the game, you know, because it was such a devastating way to go down and, you know, of of course that was hard, but um, in the moment I was so grateful. And I, I also realized in that moment how important and powerful mental training is. Absolutely. You came up with very, a, a lot of very important saves in that game. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't as if you didn't, weren't called to action that entire Yeah, game. I was busy. Yeah. It, it was a very controversial call that will go down in history as something that cost you potentially a, a, a really yeah. big award. Yeah. You know? um, that family aspect. Yeah. How did your teammates receive you after that moment? Was there ever any blame? Did you ever feel ostracized from the group or or did they pull you closer? No, um, I never, I never felt any blame at all. Like, um, it was funny, like people were like pissed. I remember Sinky and like Sinky and a couple other girls in the press just like lit the ref up and, uh, they were really upset and, um, but like Sinky in the locker room was like, I don't give a damn about what just happened. Like we're coming home with a medal. Yeah. And it was like, it actually probably helped us because we rallied. We were like, this is not how it's going to go down. And we weren't going to be that close to our dream to have it like taken away. Um, so I think, yeah. And for me, I was like, it meant the world to me, you know, like, sure. um, I was like, I'm not going to let this team down. And sure. I had probably at that point anyway, the best game of my life against France. Um, you were outstanding, standing you. on your head <laughs> against France. Now, I have not always been uh, the best of finishers, but I became fixated on the technique of becoming a finisher. I was always an outside back or an outside yeah. midfielder, wide player, and I never scored many goals. I only scored one in my career. I was an assist man. But at the end of my career, I took a lot of pride in the technique that I started to develop because just over and over wanted to perfect it. Right. Uh, and I got the opportunity to strike on goal against you a couple of times when I was recovering from my injury and I see just yeah. how I was able to see just how talented uh, you are and how oh, gifted and how much time you've put into it and how detail oriented you are with mm-hmm. the process. So let's shift gears into that detail orientation of your life. Yes. What helps you uh, now with the detail orientation that you've had that you put in towards athletics that now you push in towards business because by the way you mm-hmm. sell your art you have a great Etsy store Thank you. Um, where you sell a lot of your your beautiful artwork you've got motive nation which is incredible which I'm really ex- inspired about it's like <laughs> a nation of motivation which yeah. is exactly what it is to help motivate and inspire people yeah. which is very similar to what we're doing here with creating space right tell me a little bit about the process that you have that um, you take from your athletic endeavors and pushes you into business yeah well I think I mean I, I feel very lucky to have had art and to be such a huge role in my life it's been something that I, it's an escape I can meditate um, I can be in my zone as long as I want as long as I'm doing art so I feel lucky um, for that um, but as far as the details like uh, you know we talked about comparing uh, earlier and um, you know I in my audio thing I listen to every morning, it says like comparing is the ultimate killer of, you know, joy and also like spontaneity. And you, you know, I realized the reason I got to where I am right now is because I, I've, I've pushed the limits. I'm constantly thinking outside the box. And, um, 
I feel like the only limits, like you know, I mentioned before, are the ones I'm putting on myself. So as soon as I started kind of applying this to my whole life, uh, it's just like the world opened up a little bit, you know. And and now I'm coming back. I'm um, hoping to like look at karate and field hockey goalie training and uh, reflex uh, work and just these all these different ways to help my game, change my game, make me the best that I can possibly be. Um, and, but the same, same, you know, with art, we were talking about like, there's no attachment, attachment really to my art, like whatever happens, happens. And it's just about like the creativity flowing, but we we're in Rome, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. And I was able to watch these like street artists just like put together this piece of art in like, I don't know, literally like five minutes. And it was unbelievable. And these techniques that they were using and, I was like, I'm going to do that. And so I've started doing it in all my recent pieces. And um, I guess, I mean, the whole point is like, really, there's nothing that I, I can't do, you know, unless, you know, I mean, I, I might as well try. And I think, I think that's the point. And since I've started this project, I've just, it's been so rewarding. Like even having conversations with my mother about passion and finding your passion. And she was like, you know, she was like, I lost my passion. I don't know what it is. And so she, she sent me this text like a couple of days later and being like, you know, before uh, my dad died, I, I made this promise that I would um, like, be really healthy because, you know, my grandpa passed away of a heart attack and she didn't, uh, want to go down like that, you know? And, and basically, um, so she's like, I made this promise to myself that I'm going to stay really fit. And, um, a couple of days later, she <laughs> sent me this, um, text. It was so cute. She's like, I found my passion. It's, it's love, it's family and, and it's life. I'm passionate about these things. And, and then the next day she sent me a text being like, I held a plank today for a full minute. Wow. And it, for me, it was like, it was so cool because, um, it was totally unexpected, but, uh, and it's my mom, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, she's always been a role model in my life. And it was just so cool, um, that I can have that conversation with her. And then I'm like, I can have this conversation with anybody. There's nobody that you can't sit down with and be like, what moves you? And there's something, there's some thread, I think, between every human being in the world. And, um, so I just feel lucky that I've been able to put this out there. And I feel very lucky that people are responding. People are kind of like jumping in and doing this as well. And I'm so grateful because sometimes you're in a dark space and you've got someone writing you like Candace Chapman, the center back for Canada used to play. When I got hurt, she like literally wrote me and just said, Aaron, don't quit. And it was like a three or four line email, but it was like, it saved me, you know? Yeah. And I was, I was like, I want to be able to help someone else the way she helped me. And that's kind of how it all started connected tissue yeah we are the connected tissue of the universe i'm a full believer in that um fear fear <laughs> of being vulnerable yes. fear of being seen mm -hmm. fear of being open and cracked and exposed will keep people from uh even beginning a journey whether yeah. that's a journey of noticing themselves noticing their partner noticing right. the vision that they need in their life right a lot of people are afraid and right. Jordan, Michael Jordan, my, you love Muhammad Ali, I do equally, but Mike Jordan was the yeah. guy that, I mean, he would make me get out of my bed watching the NBA Finals and uh, the runs that you were there in. And I'd put a Jordan jersey on and go out and shoot. The game <laughs> wasn't even over, but I, he made me feel like I could be great, right? Right, right, right. And his great quote is fear um, and limits. Mm -hmm. Fear like limits are often just an illusion. Yeah, right? totally. So it's just a veil, this illusion that you put on yourself. And as you have found your passion and your mm -hmm. passion continues to change, how are you going to uh, be able to use what you've done, mm -hmm. what you've gotten to be able to push 
for something new and your new passions, which it sounds like motivation. Now it's new motivation, yeah. motivational speaking, mindfulness, and mm-hmm. helping people push to a better version of themselves. Um, I mean, I hope, I mean, yeah, I think motivation is kind of a natural progression, but, um, it's, it's just kind of, it's me. Like I, um, eventually where I see it going is, um, I took part of this, um, course called the landmark forum. And, um, basically what it talks about is like self-awareness and, and finding that moment in your childhood that like defines you and how you react to situations and all these things. And, um, the course is really mind blowing. Um, part of, you know, part of the course I didn't like, but I really, I was like, this is incredible. And, um, and to be in a room of like one of the exercises you like literally, um, there's like a line of people like, 12 or 15 people and then you like come and you stand in front of one of them and you just stare into each other's eyes for like a minute and then you go to the next person and it just talks about like how powerful we are and that connection that we're just like so afraid to have with complete strangers and how um how it can really change you so um so anyway, uh, the whole point is like, I just want to, um, it, it's for me really inspiring to connect people and to have different walks of life, just find that inspiration that, uh, that connects them. So, um, I mean, it's been helping me. Um, I hope it's been helping other people, but, um, yeah, it's something I'm passionate about and I know, um, what I need to work on. And I think the people that are out there listening and paying attention, um, whether they be to or not, or kind of like pushing me or guiding me a little bit. And, um, and I admire that and I respect that. There's the symbiotic approach to having, uh, not only friends that are in your physical presence, but those mm-hmm. people who are supporting you digitally or, yeah. or, um, you know, kind of metaphysically. Mm-hmm. So let's continue to keep it symbiotic. Let's keep your mindset, which is an Olympic level mindset. Let's mm-hmm. keep pushing those individuals, uh, ideas to be able to use and influence themselves. So tell me, what are some things that the evolving Erin McLeod does every day that she's never going to lose the habit of doing? Yeah, well, again, props to you for putting the idea in my head about, uh, you know, making the the track, basically, the positive reinforcements and the person that I I want to be, that I think I am becoming, um, listening to that every day, like literally every day, at least a couple times Um because it's that's the way I want to start my day. Um, I meditate five to six times a week, uh, which I will always I will always do. Um, I'm making a habit of stretching every single night before going to bed. That's something I I hope I always keep. Um, just that connection with my body and my mind. Um, and I've been journaling um, every day, and literally, you know, it's like day three, and it's like I'm the best. And then I say whatever else, you know, and it's, um, you know, we talked about Muhammad Ali and Conor McGregor, these guys that are like, that say I'm the greatest and, and we have so much respect for them in society. But, um, you know, you hear some other people say I'm the greatest and you're like, oh my God, what what a dick. You know what I mean? (laughs) We talked about that, but, but it gets to a point where I think now, like what I want is to not care about what other people think anymore. This is, um. I'm, I'm too old to, to be honest, like to, to be worried about that. I've held my tongue so many times. I tried to be the bigger person a lot of times, which I, I still want to be, and I still respect, but, um, you know, I think we talked about like, um, the fear and the illusion of fear, you know, like I confronted two good friends the other day. Um, and I never confront anyone. I'm like super Canadian. I'm like passive aggressive and I never want to say anything bad, you know, but, 
I confronted them and we have better friendships now. And I just remember being that moment and I was real and I was vulnerable. And I was like, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? You know, like, it's not that scary to have the hard conversations of anything. You, you actually respect someone for giving that, uh, that to them. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it crushed it in so <laughs> okay. many different ways. What are what is a part of yourself that you're now focused on right now um, that you are growing and evolving and might you might see as a weakness? I know you like to bring your weaknesses to strengths mm. or make them at least less of a weakness. What's the number one thing that you're focused on right now with the injury? Is it is it a physical thing or is it a spiritual thing? Mind, body, and soul. Tell me a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when I first got hurt, a lot of people were like, you're 33. My doctors were like, well, the best thing for your knee is to not, not play anymore. And I was like, okay, what's my next option? Um, no, but, um, and there was kind of a lot of like, uh, you know, even family and friends that were like, you know, it's cool if you want to retire. And, you know, me being like the most sensitive human alive, I was like, does that mean I should retire? And, um, but I think, uh, I think now it's just about, um, figuring out what I want. So the number one is just like belief. And I've listened, I've let those people in and I've, I've, I've heard those opinions. And I sometimes in those moments of doubt and fear, I get comparing and I'm like, eh, can I do this? Um, but it's just belief, you know, like I think for me, it would be so hard. You know, sometimes, uh, my wife's like, you should just watch some clips of you. Like, you know, and I have watched some of them and I'm like, I don't want to retire never knowing how good I was or how good I am, you know, and, um, and being this good and not enjoying it, like what a waste. So, uh, that's That's powerful being this good and not enjoying it. Well, let me, let me kind of round out this podcast by sharing, (laughs) let me, let me round it out by sharing this. Yeah. Let me share with you why I have so much respect for you. (laughs) Number one, obviously, because you have, uh, worked, and uh, been so passionate about getting to this vision that you had in your mind mm-hmm. in one thing. You've, you, you've devoted your entire life to it. Uh, and that's a beautiful, beautiful relationship that you have with the game of football. Mm. So kudos to you for that. A lot of people Thank are you. not brave enough to fall in love with something. Mm. So much so that they would devote their life yeah. to it. Um, I share that love with you for the game. Yeah, um, And, and I, I think it's incredible to be able to see someone who it, that love permeates their skin, radiates their body. So mm-hmm. I was attracted to you in that sense because we share a little bit of that same thing. Although I've never was had an appearance for a national team or yeah, ever walked, you know, represented my country. I still feel like the mindset of that is, is, uh, is a small percentage. The second thing I want to give kudos to you, which you helped me even with not even realizing that you're helping me is that ability you have to be self-aware mm. and realize that, okay, here's what I need to fix and I'm passionate to fix it. And the third thing that I really want you to know is that the process that you go through mm. uh, and the commitment that you give to your process in everything you do in life, mm. you, you are one of very few. Um, mm. And I think it's no coincidence why you've gotten to the point that you've gotten. You have the amount of individuals who are supportive of you because they see it they believe it, and you make them feel like they can do it too. Mm-hmm. So here's my challenge to you as you move on. Yeah. Continue to have that light burning inside of you, mm-hmm. that energy that you use as the force that moves you through space and time. 
but just continue to channel it in the right direction. That's in the direction of light, right? Yeah. There's two choices, light or dark. Of course. Yours continues to go light. Um, and I want to be right there with you pushing um, my tribe and my group and my individuals who believe that, that they can continue to do the same, same thing yours can. Let's keep pushing it for better. So kudos to you and all you're doing. Thank you. And guys, I cannot wait to see that moment. Have you put out a date? the day you're going to compete again? I'm sure you have. Uh, I, I haven't. I'm trying to respect my doctor as much as I can. Yeah, <laughs> so of course. It'll be in the spring. Of course, yeah. in the spring. We will look forward to Aaron supporting you along your road to recovery. Thank you very um, much. And I'm so excited to be able to come and visit you in your space, take a look at all you guys got, have got going on. And uh, we're going to celebrate my 30th birthday. Uh, tonight. Tonight. <laughs> so, last question for you. Yeah. If you could look at yourself right now at thirty, what's one one piece of advice that you give yourself? Um, I think just compassion, like self compassion. That is like honestly my answer to everything because um, there's no right or wrong. Like the things that you go through and the mistakes that you make, the mistakes you have to make to learn. Yeah. Uh, we and have I've this obsession. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. But, um, yeah, just that fear of failure is, uh, it can be overwhelming and it's funny. Like it's failure is so important, uh, to succeed. So, uh, I think if you could shift that and just uh, have compassion in the process and be like, I've, I gave it everything that I have. That is, you know, my first quote on the audiobook is like, uh, the victory is in the effort. 100% effort, that's where the victory is, and that's it. Mm. Start with love. Yeah. The victory is in the effort. If, if you're driving, if the driving force is love, you'll never fail. Yeah. Exactly. You never fail. Aaron McLeod, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank to you for having me. It up with you guys. Uh, if you're if you're watching on Periscope, we love you guys. This this individual is epic. Uh, appreciate the support. Where can people find you to connect with you online? Uh, online, uh, so my Twitter handle is at Aaron McLeod eighteen. My Instagram is at Aaron McLeod one, and themotivenation.ca or AaronMcLeod.ca is where you can find. We have a whole bunch of blogs, um, some blogs by Ella, um, and yeah, uh, and then maybe give a shout out uh, your podcast on there. Yeah, absolutely. Creating Real space. Um, you can follow me uh, for all of this stories in. Uh, things that, that Aaron's talking about. You can follow me at, at Wesley T. Knight. Um, that's on Instagram and Twitter. On Snapchat, I'm just Wes Knight, one word. Um, and I'd like to say, for those of you individuals that are subscribers to the podcast, make sure you are writing in to me, commenting about the types of uh, topics that you want to hear about so I can go out and I can find individuals who are speaking your language and are um, interested in giving you the information that you're looking for in your life. So comment, rate, um, make sure you respond to what we're doing here. We're continuing to grow. And the more subscribers that we get, the more the platform can be able to grow and our message can expand. So continue to shout that out, shout it out, share it with individuals that you love and know can uh, be affected by the message that we give. Aaron, you're the Sweet. best, kid. Thank you for having me. All right.